Hey there, this is Tammy File, and I'm so glad that you could join us today. We want you to know that whatever you're facing, we are here praying for you. And we pray that you're able to experience the presence of the Lord in your circumstances and that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you matter to God. Hello, welcome to the Journey Bible Study. This is the fourth week of our study, and I'm so glad you could be with us. Tonight we begin the study of uh, the unit that is called Invited to Dance with the Divine. And I'm so glad you guys could join us. Um, please turn in your Bible, if you will, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, that's going to be the very first book in your Bible. It'll be a familiar passage to you if you grew up in the church setting. If you did not, you've probably heard about this. But um, tonight we want to look at it and see if the Lord will give us some new eyes um, with what he has done here through creation. It's a, an exciting um, message that he gave me some time back, and I pray that it'll be a great encouragement to you today as well. Let me go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, I am grateful to you for this opportunity to serve you, to um, just pour my life out for you, Father. I want my life to glorify you, to be fruitful in the ways that you would desire it to be, and not at all in the ways that I might would want to be. I, I want I want your will to be accomplished in my life and not my own. Father God, I ask you to come now and teach us this lesson um, in ways that I don't fully understand, but but believe Jesus is the Word made flesh. And so each time your Word um, is read, in some way, Jesus comes to teach our hearts through the illumination of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. We can't understand your truth without um the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that you will shed light on this passage. God, I know that there are women who join us that are um, pleased about what you're doing in their life. They're excited about it, and they're anxious to learn more from you. I also know that there are people who join us today who are um, hurting, who may be hurting very, very badly, and who will hear all of this and and still not be sure that it that they can trust it, that they could really lean into this. God, I pray that you'll have a special word for them, especially, God, that you will minister deeply to their heart. God, in even the smallest thing that is uttered here, I pray that your word will go forth and lodge into our hearts, that it will bear um, bear up and grow and sprout and, and grow into maturity, God, so that your word takes over what uh, is already in our hearts of our natural self. God, we want your spirit life to grow in us. And so we ask you now to come be with us in the reading of your word and in the studying. Inhabit it, Holy Spirit, come in, teach our hearts. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Genesis chapter 1, we begin today in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under 
the expanse from the water above it, and it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation seed-bearing plants and trees on the land and that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with kind with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from night and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the great greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth and to govern the day from the night, and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea, and every living and moving thing <clears throat> excuse me, with which the water teems according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, and livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and rule over the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will all be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because in it, on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And that completes our scripture reading. 
Today, we want to take what you might consider a bird's eye view rather than an earthly view of the life we live here. It's almost impossible to get that kind of view without the Lord bringing those things to our understanding. It really is impossible because we are limited. We are human. But through God's eyes, we're able to see life differently. Um, as we ask to see more of God, as we ask Him to reveal Himself to us, as we ask Him to live His life through us, to grow us, we begin to be transformed and see life more through His eyes. Um, it gives us perspective on our lives that is essential. If you do not have perspective, you will feel hopeless, you will feel trapped, you will feel... Um, just so heavily burdened down. So the life of God that He breathes into us gives us a greater perspective. And so today we want to look a little bit more at a bird's eye view. Maybe in this day and age we could look at it as a satellite view of pulling way, way back and getting a bigger picture rather than the earthly view our human eyes can see as we just look around. The first thing I want you to note on your outline, point number one is this, everything God creates is good. Everything God creates is good. This includes you. You are a good creation, marred by sin without a doubt, but a good creation simply because every single thing that God ever creates is good. And that is also told to us in the New Testament. Um, God saw his work in each day and specifically stated to us that it was good. But each day, his work was really only part of the day's picture. Did you catch that? That his day's work was only part of the big picture. One day was a small part of what would eventually be the world. In each day, he accomplished really only a small amount. Did you notice that on day one, God says, let there be light, and there was light. And that was it. That was it. He called the light day and the darkness that already existed, he called night. And he said, that's good. And, and it was enough. I don't know about you, but if I were in charge of creation, you know, I know, just, just go with me there. If I were in charge of creation and the first day I said, let there be light. And that's all I accomplished. I wouldn't feel like that was a particularly successful day. Now, I realize you're coming out of complete darkness into light. But my point is, we women in particular feel the pressure to accomplish extraordinary amounts of work every single day. Most of us are driven by this need that at the end of the day, we should have done more. Am I not right about that? We feel that urgency of my work wasn't enough today, or it wasn't up to par today. Yet God on the first day was willing to say, let there be light. Okay, that's it. I'm done for the day. It's good. And even more, it's enough for today. It was enough for the day. Day two, did you see what he says? He separates the waters 
Let there be an expanse between the waters which are above and the waters which are below. So he made sky and he made seas. He just separated them. There were already waters, separates them, basically creates atmosphere or sky. And he says, that's good. It's good. I'm done. It's good. And it's enough. Day three. That to me is an exciting day. He brings um, out of the seas, he brings plants. Um, he, he, in, in day three, he lets the dry ground be gathered together. And so out of that, he grows forward um, the, uh, the, the vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land. I mean, that's a big day. Lots of stuff was growing. Banner day. And he said, that's enough for today. And it's good, but it is enough. I find it fascinating when we think about our own lives that we, we are never particularly satisfied with the in-between places in our lives. The truth is the model of creation demonstrates for us that it isn't ever all accomplished in one day. It isn't ever accomplished in one fell swoop. Your growth is a process. Your healing from past wounds of your heart, mind, and soul, and body is a process. God requires process, which also requires relationship with Him for that process to really work. We can't go through the motions without Him. The relationship is essential. But it is always a process. It is not something that gets done at one time. It may come to a resounding conclusion in one moment, but it has been gradually building to that place. There's no moment that stands completely isolated by itself, except each moment of creation when God spoke something into existence. Our lives are a great process, and God considered His work good while it was still incomplete. That's point number two on your outline. God considered his work good while it was still incomplete. Day one, light and darkness. Day two, just separated the, the waters, made sky and waters below. Day three, he creates land and he puts vegetation on that land. He's very deliberate in what he is doing. He's, in fact, quite meticulous but it's, it's really fascinating to me that he creates, did you catch this? He created land and, and, and trees and bushes and every growing thing while there is light. But it isn't until day four that he creates the sun, moon, and stars. He created the vegetation, which would be thoroughly dependent upon the sun to live, right? We all took science class. He created the vegetation before he created their source, their sun, that would help them um, be able to grow and have the energy to do that. It's very often in our lives as well that he will um, put something in place, a great need in place in our lives before he brings the filling to take the to, to bring energy to that, to grow that place in us. The need exists before the satisfaction of that need, before his provision. It is interesting to me, too, that he doesn't create sun, moon, and stars until day four. If you look at this kind of closely, he showed this to me a few years ago, and it was really exciting to me. Day four lines up, if you were putting them across, 
um, day one, day two, and day three. Imagine them on a on a timeline beside one another, going straight across. Line, day four lines up under day one on the next line below it, if this makes sense. One, two, and three on a horizontal line. Then take day four and you place it under day one. Day one, he separated light from darkness. Day four, he comes back and gives a source to the light. What was the source of light before that? Well, himself, because he is light. But it isn't until day four that he gives us a source for that light, a source that we can, um, that will nourish our planet and will give us what we need. Even our human bodies need this sun. He creates sun, moon, and stars on day four. So day one, he comes back to the work he started on day one. This is important because he does this in our lives as well. He'll start a process in our lives and he will accomplish something. Remember on day one, he did not leave day one saying, well, it's better than yesterday, but it's not quite what it will be. That's not what his attitude was. His attitude was, it is good. I'm done. And it's enough. But he doesn't come back to it till day four. It's not complete. But he doesn't come back to that until day four. And day four, he says, let me continue in this area that I was creating, sun, moon, and stars. Day five would line up on that same kind of horizontal line beside day four, directly under day two. Remember on day two, he separated the waters from above to the waters below, creating sky and, and the sea, basically. Day five, he comes back to those waters and he fills the sky with birds and he fills the sea with fish. God was meticulous in the way he did this. It's the same thing he does in our lives. He comes back to an incomplete area. Sometimes we get to those places and say, God, we're back here again. I thought we already did work there. Aren't we done yet? I thought what we did was good. It was good and it was enough for that time, but I'm ready to do more. It isn't that there's a void in us or a loss in us or something that was went wrong in us. I used to think when he did this that I must have failed the test before. That isn't always true. Sometimes it is. We can be hard-headed and we have to circle back around and do do over. But that's not growth. What, what I'm talking about in growth is he will come back to a place where he has done a work and he will build on that work. And we see that here on day five as well. He now takes the waters above and the waters below and he fills the waters above, which is the sky with... Um, birds, and he fills the waters below with fish. Do you know on day six, he comes back and does the same thing. Day six, he returns to that dry ground, and this time he puts forward animals and then people. His work was deliberate and meticulous. How often, though, do we see God's work in our own lives and we think to ourselves, well, it's better than yesterday? but it's not quite what it will be. How often are we unsatisfied with what he is doing in our lives because we're not where we want to be yet? The lesson that we can learn from creation, I hope this is one that will stick with you for the rest of your lives, is this. It was good. Each day's work was good. It was incomplete, but it was good and it was enough. 
That brings you to point number three on your outline. Each day's work was enough while still not finished. Each day's work was enough while still not finished. It is good. It's not finished, but it is enough. Each work, each day's work was enough while still not finished. You know, today, your best may be severely less than it was last week or yesterday and maybe what tomorrow will be. But it is enough each day. If you are doing your best, it is enough, even though it is incomplete. It is enough. Did you notice that in creation, each element was created by his word, which John 1 tells us that Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus was with God in the beginning, and he was, he is God, and he is the word. Jesus is the spoken word. What I would say to you is God's word in your life is absolutely vital. It is as vital to you as the sun is to the plants on this earth. If you are not in his word, the first place you must always be is in his written word. Find a translation that speaks to you. Can I just say to you that we should stop squabbling about some of the translations? There is a handful of trans- uh, translations that are widely respected. And yet they put um, this word into a frame of reference for us that we can understand. I grew up in King James. Most of my scripture memories in King James. But I can tell you that most of it was over my head well into my adult years. I understood it mentally. Don't get me wrong. But it wasn't doing my heart any good because I didn't know how to absorb those nutrients. They were not in a form that I could understand. No more than when I go see a Shakespearean play, the actual wording that they use is usually above my head, but eventually the big picture makes sense to me. Well, I understood the big picture of Scripture, but it was not feeding my heart on a regular basis. When I finally purchased my first new translation, which was an NIV, the world opened up to me. God's word began to speak to me in a language I understood, and and it became alive for me. Um, even in the NIV, which has been my primary study Bible for years now, there are words like justified and righteousness, which are words that we don't really use very often. They're actually like the word justified is actually a mathematical term, and it's not a word that we actually use very much. But when I when I first looked into the New Living Translation, um, I had heard, of course, things growing up that it wasn't a reliable translation. The Living Bible was kind of a no-no Um but when I I look into the original language on these Bibles, I have software that helps me do that quite easily through Strong's Concordance. And I was surprised that New Living Translation was extremely reliable. In fact, the Greek and Hebrew languages are very complex languages, and their, um, their words are often better translated in English 
as short phrases rather than individual words. Certain translations do a word-for-word translation, in case you're wondering what the difference here is. So the NIV would use justified for the word um, diakasuni, which which is a, is a one-word kind of tries to capture the meaning. But justified isn't a word that you and I use very often enough to understand, to apply it. Those nutrients are not absorbing. But when the New Living translates it, made right with God, that is exactly what it conveying in the original text. That's what they understood. And so um, some of these translations are extremely reliable in case you wonder what the difference is. That's generally what the difference is. But I would say there's a handful of good ones. Pick one that does. You must be in God's word. It is like the sunlight. You cannot be absorbing and growing without the word of God in your life. Without God speaking things into existence they would not have been created. Without God speaking into your life through the written word of God, you will not grow. It is the sunlight you need. And the New Testament refers to the Holy Spirit as the living water. The Holy Spirit is in you and is the living water, but without the sunlight of God's word, you are not able to grow in all the ways. Well, I wanna ask you, what about what's God's doing in your own life? comes to point number four on your outline. God's work in my life is good, and it is enough even while it's being finished. God's work in my life is good, and it is enough even while it is still being finished. Listen, God's work in your life is good in his eyes. Today's work is not completed, but it's enough for him. Can I ask you, will you allow it to be enough for you? Can we stop looking at our lives and saying, well, it's not what it used to be, but it's not what I want it to be. Do you know what kind of dissatisfaction and misery we live in and how much energy we waste in that mindset? What if today you vowed as as, as best you can to walk with God and to, to remember creation every day of your life to say, well, it is good and it is growing. But God says today is enough as long as I am walking with him to the best of my ability, which will be imperfectly. But as long as I'm doing that, it's enough. And he is building something that is detailed and it is on purpose and he has a plan And while I cannot see it yet, while I might have plants growing that don't seem to have a sun in sight yet, he knows what he is doing. I want you to turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Samuel chapter 16. We are only briefly going to look at this passage, but it gives us a story that is important to our understanding today because it brings together the whole point of this lesson that is beyond what we have seen already. 2 Samuel chapter 16 is just a few books past Genesis. Two weeks ago, we looked at the life of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was um, King Saul's grandson, the son of Jonathan, whom King David loved and was best friends with. Jonathan was killed in war. Um, King Saul's family was basically eradicated. This child was hidden away, Mephibosheth. He was dropped in there um, when they went to flee when Saul was killed, and he was crippled in both legs as a result. And we studied together a beautiful story. If you haven't had a chance to do that, you want to go back to week two's message and take a look at that. To me, it's one of the best pictures of God's love for us and how crippled we are. We come to him with nothing to offer him, and we are by birth enemies, just as Mephibosheth was by birth. Um, 
an enemy to, to King David now and a threat to his kingdom. And yet David refused to see him that way. He invited him in, not just to be a citizen of his kingdom, but to be a member of his family and to eat not just at the banquet hall, but at the breakfast table. And if you have missed that message, you definitely want to go back to week two and listen to that message as one of the most beautiful renderings. In addition to what David did relationally with Mephibosheth, the other thing he did was take the king, um, the property that King Saul had owned a long time while he was alive, he gave that to Mephibosheth. And while Mephibosheth, of course, could not work that land, and Mephibosheth lived there near David and was in that palace with him, um, David appointed a steward to work the land, to oversee it, to have all of the members, all the people to take care of it and to build crops and to build this man an inheritance. So the man, Mephibosheth, inherited the land. He also inherited the wealth that came from that land. Well, that steward's name was Ziba. And apparently Ziba had some pretty, um, some great resentment in his heart. And so today our story picks up with uh, Mephibosheth. For a long time, I didn't know this part of the story existed. And I just really wanted you to see this today. Second Samuel chapter 16, what has happened right before we begin reading is that King David's son Absalom has decided to take um, the kingdom from David and has tried to overthrow the kingdom. And David fled Jerusalem because of the threat to his life. And we pick up um, with David meeting up with Ziba. Chapter 16, verse 1. When David had gone a short distance beyond the summit, there was Ziba, the steward of Mephibosheth, waiting to meet him. He had a string of donkeys saddled and loaded with 200 loaves of bread, 100 cakes of raisins, 100 cakes of figs, and a skin of wine. The king asked Ziba, why have you brought these? Ziba answered, the donkeys are for the king's household to ride on, the bread and fruit are for the men to eat, and the wine is to refresh those who become exhausted in the desert. The king then asked, where is your master's grandson? Ziba said to him, he's staying in Jerusalem because he thinks today the house of Israel will give me back my grandfather's kingdom. Then the king said to Ziba, all that belonged to Mephibosheth is now yours. I humbly bow, Ziba said, may I find favor in your eyes, my lord, the king. Now, at this point in our story, we do not know if what Ziba is saying was truth or not truth. David doesn't know it. David makes a decision immediately because of his sensitivity to having been betrayed by his own family. He just feels like this would be part of the story, that everybody's out to get me. You know, when one person wounds you, it does feel then like everyone around you is out to get you, and that's not always true. Ziba put forth this delegation, and what David missed was, although he asked, what are you doing? Ziba is buttering David up, and the truth is, um, David was desperate for people to show an alliance with him. He, he needed the encouragement that Ziba was offering, and he missed the ulterior motive. Ziba was not interested in David's best interest. But this is what happened. So now, if you will, turn over to um, 2 Samuel chapter 19. We're beginning in verse 24. 
This will be the other side. So here's what's happened. Absalom has been killed. David is coming back into Jerusalem. He's headed back towards Jerusalem to take over his kingdom once again. It's a sad time for David. Um, he, He mourns the loss of his son Absalom terribly, but he is on his way back in. Verse 24, Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson, also went down to meet the king. He had not taken care of his feet or trimmed his mustache or washed his clothes from the day the king left until the day he returned safely. We'll pause right there and say, Mephibosheth's life, his life exhibited what was really going on with him. He was in mourning. That is what this represented. Verse 25, when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? Verse 26, he said, my lord, the king, since I, your servant, am lame, I said, I will have my donkey saddled and will ride on it so I can go with the king. But Ziba, my servant, betrayed me. And he has slandered your servant to my lord, the king. My lord, the king is like an angel of God. So do whatever pleases you. All my grandfather's descendants deserved nothing but death from my lord, the king. But you gave your servant a place among those who sat at your table. So what right do I have to make any appeals to the king? Do you hear Mephibosheth's humility? He is back saying, he lied about me, but none of that matters. You have shown me so much grace. I'm just here to tell you that I I didn't betray you. But whatever you do, you have already been so gracious to me. I deserve nothing else from you. Ladies, this is a great picture of us with God. He has been so extravagant to us. We don't deserve a place at his family table, and yet we are given that, and we're asked to enjoy it. He wants the company of your presence. We talk about that in that second message. It's very important to understand, though, that he has been extravagant with us. Verse 29, the king said to him, why, ha- why say more? I order you and Ziba to divide the fields. So David takes back part of what he's done here and says, you know, half will be yours and half Ziba. Verse 30, Mephibosheth said to the king, let him take everything now that my lord the king has arrived home safely. Let him take everything now that my lord the king has arrived home safely. This is a powerful picture of where our true treasure lies. When we have known great suffering and pain, when we are in the in-between places, David had been in an in-between place, Mephibosheth was in an in-between place. Ladies, you are going to spend much of your life in the in-between places. It almost, more of your life will be spent there than in the moment of where things come together in conclusion. And as you move through that, you're in your next in-between place because you're constantly moving forward. Both of them knew this thing about being an in-between place. Both of them were hurting. David was hurting badly. Mephibosheth was hurting and he was mourning. You know, your suffering means a tremendous amount to God. Psalm 56, 8, just jot down the address, Psalm 56, 8, in the New Living says this, you keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Not one single tear that you shed is lost. 
God captures everyone and he records them. He is attentive to your suffering. The thing that you need to know is that your pain needs to be productive and it needs to have purpose to it. We need to trust God with the suffering. Don't let it drive us away from him, but let us drive it to him. Just like Mephibosheth went out to meet David despite his pain, we want to be driven to God. And you don't want to compare your pain with someone else's. The source of the pain is irrelevant. The pain that you experience is still vital and is an important part of your growth. I'm going to ask you, are you willing to be at rest and contented in the in-between places in your life? Are you willing to be at rest and contented in the in-between places? Are you willing to say, God, it's incomplete, it's unfinished, but it is good and it is enough? I wonder what is the treasure you're waiting on? Mephibosheth says to David, I don't need the inheritance. You're the treasure I long for. You are the treasure. What is the treasure you've been waiting for, my sister? What is it that in your life you're saying, well, when blank happens, then dot, dot, dot. What is it that you're waiting on? What is the treasure you're holding out for? When blank happens, then dot, dot, dot. The thing I want you to understand today is this, your greatest treasure And even the worst of circumstances is that your God is with you. That is point five on your outline. My greatest treasure is that even in the worst of circumstances, my God is with me. You know, God never asked to be the only thing in our lives. He never asked to be the only thing. He just asks to be the main thing. He never asks to be the only thing. He asks to be the main thing. Ladies, God is the treasure you've been looking for. If you will throw yourself into investing in your relationship with him, you will find that that he is everything that you could ever want. And he has all of the riches of his kingdom at your disposal. The riches will be within you. They may never be around you, but they will be within you. Do you know what joy, the greatest definition of joy I've ever heard is this. Joy is a deeply settled confidence that God is involved in every single detail of my life. Joy is a deeply settled confidence that God is involved in every single detail of my life. When you believe that in every single day of creation and your life, God is in charge and you are cooperating with him, you are walking with him, you're keeping your focus on him, but he's in charge of what grows that day. He's in charge of what is accomplished in that day. And when he says today's growth is good, it is enough, then we Learn to live in that. And there's this tremendous joy that overtakes us when we begin to say, it's not on me to grow. It's on me to stay connected to him and stay focused on him. And he gets to decide what happens in my life today. Joy is a deeply subtle confidence that God is involved in every single detail of your life. I want to 
ask you, I want to challenge you today, let it be enough. Let your best, plus whatever he is doing today, be enough. It is not everything. It isn't everything he ever plans to do. We want everything. It's like when you first get married and you want to have the same kind of house that people who have been married 25 years have, and you want to drive the kind of vehicles they drive, and you want to you know, you want to have their kind of clothes. Well, it takes time to get to that life. The same thing is true in our spiritual life. No one inherited spiritual maturity. Every human being who is spiritually mature walked and wrestled that thing out. Nobody is just poof, granted it. They worked hard. Now listen, the work they did was to stay committed to God. It meant to sacrifice to their own will day in and day out, to learn how to walk with God, to learn how to understand scriptures, learn how to apply those. The Holy Spirit was their great teacher, but they did not get there easily, nor did they get there quickly, nor did they get there without tremendous opposition. Their story is the same as yours. No matter where they are, you see them further in the creation process. Maybe they look like they're on day five or day six, and you still feel like you're on day one. I don't even know if I've got light yet. But the truth is, every person walks through the same kind of process. Nobody gets a pass. Nobody gets to skip go. Nobody gets to collect $200 and and get out of jail and all that. Everyone walks the same kind of of growth process with God. Sister, you won't see God in your details unless you look for Him in your details. You won't see Him in your details unless you look for Him in your details. I challenge you today to look for Him in your details, to be at rest with Him, to to trust that while today is incomplete, It is good, and it is enough because you have a deeply settled conviction and confidence that God is involved in every single detail of your life. Father God, we're so grateful to you for what you do in us. God, I'm thankful that your process is so clearly demonstrated in in creation. It gives me such encouragement to look at my own life. I remember where I was taking a walk with you when you brought this into my understanding, and I began to see what you were saying and how you convicted me of how dissatisfied I was every day of my life because I would measure my process, progress based on where I used to be, but, but the biggest thing I measured against was where I thought I should be. I was so aggravated with my humanity, and you've taught me, God, that I'm going to have to accept certain things. It is a process. It takes time. I am not going to be perfected tomorrow. I'm not going to lose all of the things I want to lose about myself by tomorrow. I can't do it today. I can only be with you and do what you ask of me today. God, come in and I pray that you plant this particular word deeply into our hearts, God, because our culture and everything else will will defy this. It will work against this. God, help us to learn the unforced rhythm of your grace. God, bless us with your presence. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.